Blog Talk Radio. Ending, wild card performing, wild card appearing, 2016 New York Mets. EJ, I tell you, what seemed impossible when you and I talked six weeks ago, what seemed ever so light, so slightly more likely each week, uh, each passing week, to to the point of actually admitting cautious optimism when I hosted the show last week with Michael Barron, has come to fruition. The Mets are playing in the wild card game at home. Can you believe it? I really can't. You know, it's amazing. You mentioned where they came six weeks ago. I mean, you think back six months ago, I think we kind of would have considered this end result of the season to be a disappointment. Now, instead, you look back to what they overcame throughout the course of this season. Uh, you look where they were just a mere month and a half ago, and for them to be sitting here today, is it is just a testament to those guys in that clubhouse. I absolutely did not think in mid-August – that I would be sitting here for the next 72 hours with the biggest ball in my stomach of just nothing but nerves because uh, this team is indeed getting that one-game wild-card playoff game Wednesday night, and they're doing it in the friendly confines of City Field. And i got to be honest, I am nothing but optimistic right now. We kept saying, as it looked like it was almost inevitable that they might make it, we kept saying, oh, you never know with the one-game playoff, but you know what? And Mets fans, we have one thing that we always do, and we always believe. I am allowing myself to believe. I am allowing myself to think that this team is going to be victorious Wednesday night, and I'm allowing myself to call this team a playoff team. You know, and the thing for me is that six weeks ago, it's ironic, we, six weeks ago on this show we had our good friend Casey Stern on for Sirius XM and TBS. And, you know, we basically, I think we, we all but declared the season over at that point. He called for the, you know, the basically – the Mets to, uh, you know, shut down Jake and shut down uh, Max, which essentially happened in, in reality, just not at the time he said so. They never pitched another game. Uh, but the, um, you know, we all were talking, well, what about this for next year? What about that for next year? And and then the injury to Neil Walker and, and you know, just kind of, you know, compounding. And I remember about a month ago, I was sitting in Minute Maid Park at a at a game of Astros and, De- and Tampa Bay Rays, thinking to myself, "Boy, this place is pretty hopping. You know, they, they've got a really good shot at the wild card. You know, certainly a better shot than our team has. And uh, you know, it's a pretty hopping atmosphere." And I'm thinking to myself, starting to feel a little bit bad on myself. Today, they, the Astros are going home tomorrow. They they ain't living on another day. The Vets, they live to play one more. And I got to tell you, dude. You know, last year I was very open on this podcast about just enjoying the ride. Man, the fact that we've gotten this far, this is this ride is easier to quote unquote enjoy than last year's because I really feel like the Mets have done more with less. Oh, absolutely. Last year, let's face it, we didn't go into the season with Cespedes. We uh, acquired him later. We didn't anticipate Daniel Murphy becoming a September hero the way that he did. And with those inevitable things happening, it was just like, oh, wow, is this really happening? But you still looked at that rotation and you said, okay, these guys are good. That's the bottom line. We have great pitching that could carry you. And you always say pitching carries playoffs. So it was it was definitely – uh, uh, unlikely scenario that we would make it as far as the uh, World Series last year, and it was definitely fun to enjoy. But you give me that team last year and put them up against this team this year, and I'd make the argument that last year's team might sweep this year's team out of the building. When you lose almost your entire rotation, save for Bartolo Colon and Noah Syndergaard, when you lose David Wright again for the entire year, you lose Lucas Duda for half, you lose Neil Walker for the season, you're relying on picking up Jose freaking Reyes midway through the year to kind of give your team a boost. That is not, this is not a team that should be playoff bound. Even if it is just a one-game playoff, this team shouldn't be there. This team was dead, D-O-A, come August. 
we looked at that lineup and said they're all done. They all must be secretly hurt, and they're not talking about it. They cannot hit their way out of a paper bag. We are going through the agonizing one nothing, 2-1 losses again, where if you could just string together something more than a solo home run, you actually would be winning some ball games, and completely turned it around. It, it's scary how much I feel like this is mirroring last year, where all of a sudden the team just flips a switch in August, and suddenly nobody can get them out. They're scoring multiple runs a game again. They're still pitching their brains out. But right now they're pitching their brains out behind the, the arms of Seth Lugo and Gesellman. I mean, this is not how they drew it up in spring training. But, damn it, I'm not going to have fun running through this ride. You know, a couple of years ago, and I talked about this, I was going to a AAA game up in Tacoma. Las Vegas 51s were playing up there. And uh, pitching for the 51s that day was a guy that had just gotten bumped up from A named Jake DeGrom. And I remember asking a couple of minor league experts that uh, you and I both know what they thought of this kid, and he's, he's nothing special. I watched the guy pitch his watch away and go, he sure seems special to me. Saw him pitch again the following May, thought the same damn thing, and look at what he turned into. Earlier this year, I saw the 51s and Seth Lugo was pitching. And let me tell you, if, I, if you had told me at that point what he would be doing this month, I would be laughing at you. He was terrible. He did not look good at all. He looked like he belonged back in double A. I mean, it was just, and it was a particularly bad outing, but it was just one of those where you go, yeah, this, this, this guy deserves a six ERA. This is not a, this is not major league material here at all. This isn't the next Jacob DeGrom, that's for sure. Well, someone forgot to tell that to Seth Lugo, and thank God for that. And the same thing with Robert yeah. Gazelman. Nobody has told either of them that they're Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman. I think they really think, they are Stephen Matz and uh, and uh, Jacob DeGrom, or as I like to call it, Gisellman, um, Jacob DeClone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think not – what we're seeing is unreal. And in the history of a team that has built its life on amazing and miracles, uh, and you got to believe – I mean, these are the pillars of which this franchise stands. This team stands above all those others because it really – and we've got to, at some point in the near future, get our good our good friend Greg Prince in here to offer the historical perspective because I'm having my head, trouble wrapping my head around it without knowing where we line up, of course, at the end when all is said and done. But this is up there with 1973. This is up there with 1987 where the Mets fell short on the last weekend of the season. By, by the way, in 1987, falling short was 90-something wins. Uh, they would have won a hypothetical wild card if it had existed in that year. Um, as I like to remind people, from 84 to 90, they would have won the wild card every year they didn't win the division. That was their record. That's how good they were. Um, so you can pitch 95 and not win, make the playoffs. But these guys are, you know, you look at it. James Loney, he couldn't get a major league deal this spring. Rene Rivera couldn't get a major, major league deal this year. These are guys that were, you know, and certainly nobody was giving Jose Reyes a major league deal after what happened. And these are all essentially reclamation products that have played a major important role in this team and have been major contributors. Mind you, the guy that's manning second base just about every day right now and has hit every level in the minor leagues is an undrafted free agent. The Mets have spent seven years in the minors. What is going on here, dude? This is one of the most amazing and, I'll be honest, lovable Mets teams I can remember. Frustrating you know, as hell that, that, but lovable. That that guy at second base was available to every other team in Major League Baseball via the Rule 5 draft. And now another GM picked up on him, and they were actually uh, recounting an anecdote about him today on the broadcast saying how uh, it was actually Seth Lugo who said, he gave the quote that if you're going to hit 330 at every level, somebody's going to find you a job. And T.J. Rivera, that job is all yours right now. Uh, you're right. This team is being likable and lovable as they are. You watch the interaction between Jose Reyes, Cespedes, and Asdrubal Cabrera together, and they, they're starting to give them the moniker of the three amigos. These guys just seem to love playing baseball together. They love being around each other. It's very, very similar feeling to the great clubhouse chemistry that we had last year, which, again – this is why the reports of exaggeration happened, because everybody said Cespedes, clubhouse cancer, Reyes, clubhouse cancer, and instead, these two guys are bringing the spark, are bringing the energy, and are bringing the fun 
back to this team again, and it's just fun to watch. And especially whereas last year, as great as the run was with Cespedes and with Murphy and Conforto basically hitting lights out, well, let's see. Murphy is a professional hitter. Cespedes is a superstar, and Conforto was a nice find. This year they're doing it on the backs of as Drupal Cabrera, TJ Rivera, and even now Jay Bruce, who basically every Met fan wanted run out of town for the last six weeks, they're doing it on the back of guys who you do not expect to carry your team. And that is exactly what they're doing. And that is why I am really feeling better this year than I did last year. Because last year, it was the fear. If Murphy or Cabrera or uh, Cespedes is cool off, this team is dead. And that is exactly what happened in the World Series. Murphy and Cess both started, stopped hitting. I feel like Cespedes was probably hurt at that point because it is actually a year ago today that he got punked on the wrist against Philly, no less. And I feel like that was kind of the beginning of him uh, failing to produce. But as soon as those guys cooled off, the Nets had no offense. I look at this lineup right now. This lineup is so long from top to bottom that if in the event they run into some hot pitching, they're also probably going to at some point run into a few fastballs. And as much as the Solo home run has been the bane of my existence this entire season. The solo home run, when you're playing very low-scoring playoff games, does come in pretty damn handy. You know, and the thing, too, is I mean, what, one, one pithy comment, and then I'll move on to my more serious comment, uh, you know, as far as UN assessment is, if anybody doubted he knew any English before today, if you're a decent enough <laughs> lip reader, in the eighth inning, you, you, or ninth inning there, top of the ninth, you learned he knows some choice words and can use them. Uh, <laughs> Just and the what a bad one. call that was, too. He was right to be mad. Yeah, that played up was but, absolutely atrocious all game, and it all culminated in the ninth. There were some just ridiculous strike calls in the ninth. This guy was on a getaway day a day early here. Yeah, no joke. And on to Jay Bruce. The thing I was going to say is, I mean, a lot of Met fans had, had all but run him out of town. Let's decline the option, and to which I'm, you know, saying to people, okay, if you want him run out of town, why the hell do you decline the option and get literally nothing for him? When you could even possibly, if you pick up the, the the option and trade him, you're at least going to get something back, even if you have to eat part of the contract. But it was the most, you know, it's the most asinine thing. Just decline the option, get rid of him. And I'm sorry, I disagree with every single fan that said that. Every single one of them, because he's worth more as a trade ship than he is as a free agent. Just fact and reality. That being said, I have refused to fully condemn that trade and say that it was a mistake because I knew what everybody else was ignoring. Jay Bruce is a streaky hitter, and he was in a hell of a bad slump combined with the fact that clearly New York didn't agree with him at first, and that, you know, that's happened to some pretty good players off the bat, let's be honest, uh, players that eventually did adapt to New York. But the thing for me was about Bruce was, I said all along, if he gets hot at the right time, I'm not going to care about that trade one iota, and most people are going to forget that they hated it and what's happening right now. He's white hot, and, uh, yeah, people are kind of forgetting that last week they wanted him, you know, basically hung from the rafters of City Field. Yeah, if he can sustain this somehow for the next four weeks, then all of a sudden Mets fans are going to be calling that option actually a bargain for next year. If he's going to go on one of those streaks that he just seems like he can't make it out, that's exactly what this team needs. And I think we were saying it on this show two weeks ago. We were saying that if they could get some combination of Bruce, Duda, and Conforto going here, then you're looking at a team that is going to be extremely dangerous. So we've got part one taken care of. We got Jay Bruce going. Now, if we can get either one of those other two guys going, and it's going to be hard to get Conforto going because, let's face it, he's not going to get many at-bats here. So it's going to be on Duda. If we get one of those guys hot, though, man, it's, it's going to be – this could be a very, very fun run for us. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching the post game, and I'm seeing champagne getting poured over Jose Reyes' face. And, damn, if it does not take me back to 2006, the, the infamous uh, – Reyes and Wright together, and, and you got Wilmer Flores here with his arm around Jose, and Wilmer not able to participate in this run, unfortunately. But just to see Jose Reyes celebrating being in the playoffs with Mets teammates again, 
and we've talked at length to I'm blue in the face about what happened with him off the field. But to me, seeing this moment right now, seeing the happiness on Jose Reyes, I can't help but flash a million-dollar smile of my own. So damn happy for this guy that he's back with the organization he loves. It seems like he's gotten his life just back to a place of joy. And Jose Reyes just exudes happiness, and seeing him like this just makes me really damn happy. Yeah, it's funny. I just, uh, just, to, just for argument's sake, I was just uh, looking on the uh, uh, Mets website, and of course, you can you can already order all your postseason gear. I <laughs> uh, gotta love MLB marketing in that sense. But uh, the um, yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, is that, you know, it, the turning point really obviously was that game on, on you know August twenty first or so. But to me, the turning point of this season, no matter how it goes really is the day the Mets activated Jose Reyes. And believe me, it was a, a, you know, I made no secret about the reasons I was not crazy about it. And some of them, are, certainly the on-the-field ones I have backtracked on, the off-the-field ones I've just, you know, it, they just are what they are. They've been hashed and rehashed ad nauseum. I don't need to go there at this point. Um, but, you know, I certainly am, am happy as can be to have been wrong about what Jose was going to bring to the table. And it's not like he has been the world's most productive player. He really hasn't. I mean, he's been productive. He's been good. He's certainly been more than serviceable at third base for someone who never played it before. And he's been, you know, he's certainly been clutch at times. He's not been by any means an all-star out there. Uh, But what he has brought to the table is more than what can be quantified by his stats. It is obvious by watching him. It is obvious by watching everybody around him. It's that clear. He was the catalyst. He is infectious. His energy, his enthusiasm is infectious. And I think, really, you can look at what Jose Reyes has done this season to a T to what happened in the ninth inning today. Mets are only up one. We all know that Familia's been shaky at times, despite the 51 saves. And we've got a man on second and Reyes at the plate. Would you ideally like to see Reyes drive that guy in? Sure. But if he's not going to, he's going to go ahead and take a nine-pitch at bat that's just going to drive the opposing pitcher insane and finally draw a walk, setting the table for Asdrubal Cabrera and Cespedes. And that is exactly what Jose does. He extended the inning and let the big boys do their job and get that insurance run home. And that is exactly what you ask of a prototypical leadoff hitter. And just to have the enthusiasm and the excitement that he brings to the clubhouse, to the, to the uh, dugout, it's just great to watch. And, I mean, they're flashing us that sound. 13 doubles, 8 homers, 24 RBIs. Not flashy numbers, but good enough to get it done with the 267 batting average. But if you told me that was going to be Jose Reyes' stats at the end of this year, I would have said you're insane that Jose Reyes would somehow have eight home runs at this point at the end of the year after not being acquired to midseason. So he has done exactly what you could have dreamed he would do, and I'm really excited to see what he'll be doing in a playoff because you know he brings the energy. You know he's going to bring the excitement. You know he's going to be the guy who we didn't have last year who would hopefully try to drive an opposing pitcher insane the way he did today. Get on first. Fake the moves to second. Just get in the head of an opposing pitcher, and I just – Really can't wait to see what this Mets team potentially could do in a, in a, a, a division series. Just got to get there first. And got to, I think if, if I asked you right now, I'm pretty sure you, me, and every Mets fan in the world would pretty much be unanimous about who we would like that opponent to be come Wednesday. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And who we would not like it to be. But, you know, I, I have a feeling uh, dreams don't always come true in that one. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of feeling that way myself. Um, I, I didn't check to see the final of the game. It looked like the Cardinals were still up 4-3. I didn't see if that went final. I'm over on SMI now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it goes that way, if it goes the Giants and we're facing Bob Gardner, well, I mean, it's going to be as nerve-wracking for us. But, I mean, as far if you were a non-fan of the Giants or the Mets, if you're just a fan of baseball, I don't think you could ask for anything better than Bumgarner versus Cindergard in that first game. I did find it really it, interesting. It's Terry's move. That's amazing. That's exactly what you want for playoff, a one-game playoff, playoff baseball with two of the best on the mound. I mean, that's great stuff. 
for us, that's going to be nausea-inducing, but yeah, it's great for the game. I did find it very interesting today, though, Terry pulling Bartolo, who went basically four perfect innings and then had a little hiccup giving up the home run to Howard in the second. Terry pulling Bartolo after five innings at only 61 pitches, Terry was loading up for that game, I feel. He wants to have I all hands it, I, on deck and all hands ready for as long as he needs them for. And I think the other part of it, too, and we have to keep this in mind with Bartolo, and we certainly have talked about how he has a you know, crystal clear for the past couple of years injury history, but you know, the Mets did admit he is playing through an injury currently. Um, a couple of days ago, he does have an injury in his foot, and he's able to pitch through it. So my guess is, you know, get him out of there when you can, and uh, so that you know you have him for the. You, know, you don't, you don't want the big Bart going down at this point. Um, so I'm yeah, also no, giving him a little extra rest and to have the bullet in the gun because that's a guy that I, I think his foot could be falling off. He would demand the ball. JB. Are you there? Yeah, you just cut out for a second. We're good now. All right. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. (laughs) But, yeah, Bartolo has been your workhorse. He's the guy who's gotten you here. And I guess in the ideal dream scenario, you get Syndergaard a 4-0 lead. He throws you through the seventh. You go read Familia, Goodnight, the Life, and then you come back with Bartolo in game one of the division. And, uh, by the way, the St. Louis Cardinals did hold on to beat 4-3 to three in that game, as we were just talking about. So, St. Louis uh, you know, should live to see another day. If uh, And the Giants, there's no score in the third. But, uh, of course, who are they facing today? Kershaw. Yeah, yeah. You know, it would be so, very interesting. I guess, as Mets fans, do we – we're sitting here. Do we now just root that these two teams do exactly what needs to be done tomorrow so that they have to play game 163 on Monday? I think that's probably yeah. That honestly, that's probably that's how I feel about it. I think uh, you want to wear them down, and if they got to blow Mad Bum early, isn't that an advantage? Yeah, absolutely, I will take that. I'd sign for that any day. And being a fan of the the sport, that's just fun. I love the game one sixty three as long as my team's not involved driving me up the wall. So I would enjoy sitting back on a Monday night, popping back in the recliner, and a nice cold beverage, and watching a game one sixty three. Sounds like fun to me. You know, the thing is, I could say, of all the years I've been watching this team, all the 35-plus years of being a fan, no game has made me more nervous than game 163 in 1999. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs that with that game, so you're absolutely right. I, I feel like that's even more nerve-wracking than the one-game playoff, because at least you make that one-game playoff, you could hang your hat on that. To be eliminated on game 163, that would be a next level of uh, of losing. Yeah, it basically is. You've completed the marathon, and just before you hit the finish line, the ground opens up and sucks you in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. It's I just keep getting distracted watching this uh, watching this little locker room celebration. I'll give the Mets credit; they're subdued about it. Granted, they're doing the champagne and the cigars, but they're not going over the top because I've never been a big fan of a champagne celebration for admittance to a one-game wild card. I, I've always said, now it's my team, of course, so I'm going to be a hypocrite and say differently, but I've always said that making the one-game wild card means you're not in the playoffs yet. You have to play your way into the playoffs. Well, my team just did it, so I'm saying they're in the playoffs, but it, it just sitting here watching – watching an interview with uh, Seth Lugo, and I'm like, how is this guy being interviewed as a Met going to the playoffs? It's just this season makes no sense. No, it it absolutely doesn't. And that's why it's like, this is such an enjoyable ride, and it's kind of like, you know, if they lose on Wednesday, yeah, I'm going to be bummed out a bit. I won't deny that because the season's over. Whenever the season's over, it kind of sucks. You know, that's just that's just life as a baseball fan. But as soon as I get over that, I'm just going to be so damn proud of these guys because they did, again, this is a team that should be five games under under 500, 10 games off the wild card. They should have been eliminated two weeks ago. And not only did they persevere, you know, they wound up going through a buzzsaw in Atlanta. Holy crap, that team is hot right now. Um, and then the emotional, emotional turmoil of that three-game series in, in Miami. Oof, I mean – 
the stuff they had to deal with to get there, I mean, certainly nothing compared to what the Marlins are having to deal with, but still the emotional turmoil of the ups and downs of the past two weeks with essentially the Las Vegas 51s going to the playoffs. Yeah, you're absolutely right. My rallying cry on Twitter very sarcastically saying, uh, yeah, well, we all know the Mets will get swept in the playoffs because as all of Mets Twitter keeps saying, oh, well, they can't win because Gesellman and Lugo are in the rotation and they haven't beaten anyone. And I'm sitting there like, oh, yeah, so that means as soon as they see a little bit of a better lineup, they're all of a sudden going to fold like cheap suits. And I'm sitting there I'm like, wait, as you put it, the Braves were red hot when we got them. And granted, they, they put a little whooping on us at one point in the past month. But the Braves aren't exactly a rollover and die team that you and I said that they were going to be. I think we both were in agreement that that team could have competed for uh, the worst record of all time when you looked at them on paper preseason. And you see what they've done going over 500 in the second half of the season, definitely being more competitive. And you're right. The Marlins had everything in the world hanging on their shoulders this, this past week. And you know they wanted to play well. So I just don't get – I've just been really a little bit ticked with Mets Twitter. Go figure. Me ticked off at Mets Twitter. But about how they're just so dismissive at how the Mets cannot go on a deep run here because Gaselman and Lugo aren't named DeGrom and Max or Harvey. And to me, it's like you, you were saying earlier somebody forgot to tell Lugo and Gaselman that they are Lugo and Gaselman. Well, there's nothing to be said for that. Something to be said for young guys who are getting a shot who, for lack of a better term, are too dumb to know that they're not supposed to succeed right now. They are absolutely – why wouldn't they sit there and say, hey, I'm, going on, I'm on a team right now that next year, if healthy, has six reliable starters, and I want to be one of them. So why wouldn't you want to make that conversation? I'm on a team that's got seven reliable starters, eight reliable starters. I want to basically make Sandy Alderson – and Terry Collins make a very difficult decision because I'm about to pitch my face off for you guys in the playoffs. And if I become a playoff hero, there's no way you can't include me in next year's rotation. There's just a bevy of options. And for me, if I'm one of those guys, I'm looking at this. This is the biggest opportunity of their entire life to possibly pitch on the biggest stage in sports of New York City in the playoffs for the Mets. This is the biggest opportunity they possibly will ever get in their lives. So why not try to step it up and, and think that they can do it? I, I'm personally, I am not sitting here saying, oh, man, if we get the Cubs, we're screwed. We can't beat the Cubs with Gaselman on the mound. Who says? You know how many times the Cubs have seen Gaselman? Zero. So how often have we seen a rookie pitcher come into face the Mets and completely stymie them because they don't have a book on the guy? They've never faced the guy before. Who's to say that can't happen to the Cubs? And I'll tell you, man, as great as the wild card is, I can't help but really, really want a piece of the Cubs. Because last year we swept them right out, and ever since the last out of that series happened, it was basically every baseball pundit saying, Cubs get swept out, guaranteed World Series favorites next year. And that has just left a bad taste in my mouth. I would like the Mets another crack to teach the Cubs a few lessons about uh, crowning myself king prior to entering the battle. You know, it, it's kind of like that guy that got the premature tattoo the other day, quite honestly, that made all the sports pages about the, the world championship 2016 Cubs. But the, the thing for me, I mean, when I look at, you know, when I look at, uh, you know, what they've done, it's the same thing. It's like, well, we had our rematch already. How did we do? How did we do against the Cubs this year? Whooped them. I believe it was six and one this year in seven games. Yep. Whooped them. And that was whooping them with, Basically, Cabrera hadn't begun being this insane Cabrera yet. Um, we, no Reyes. I, don't, I believe Reyes wasn't active. Maybe he was for the second series. Um, but you didn't have – you still had the likes of Neil Walker in the lineup. You did not have this quality of a lineup facing – took six games from them. So this is a different Mets team they'll be facing, and I will argue a better Mets team despite having the big pitchers go down. And we've shown that we – can hit Arietta. We've shown that we can beat their pitchers. We did it four straight times on the biggest stage last year, and I'd love to have the opportunity to do it again because I really want to see every baseball writer have to eat crow that before the Mets World Series even started last year, 
it was inevitable that the Cubs were going to be representing the National League this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the thing about it is, you know, they did, uh, you know, looking at these games, they they certainly played a couple of our uh, our good pitchers. Uh, DeGrom got in a game, but uh, so did Verrett. And he lost, but only two to one. You know, you look at some of these games, and, uh, you know, it, it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility that our ragtag bunch of no-names uh, could win, especially because a couple of the wins that we have, out of the out of the six wins we got against them this year, uh, Cologne had two, and Syndergaard had one. And those guys will be pitching four games in a seven-game series. Uh, yep. But an NLDS you know is five, isn't it? It's NLDS is still five, yeah. isn't it? They keep, yep. they keep talking about extending know, it every year, and they never do, thankfully. Uh, but still, you've got that's that's the thing. Two two and one, that's three games right there. So I mean, if you know, and you're going to have Cologne pitching twice in that series. Yep, and well, you know how Syndergaard feels about pitching season. in Chicago. Yep, and we yeah, saw Syndergaard pitch in Chicago last year. Absolutely, and he he threw the lightning bolt up. On- Twitter account. He relishes the opportunity to do it. So I am. I don't want to get cocky, JB. I don't want to get no. cocky, but I can't help it. The Mets are in the playoffs, damn it, and I just want to declare that they're going to the series, baby. But got to get uh, one game at a time, literally here. But I, I just, I feel good about where the Mets stand right now. I didn't think I would feel this good heading into a one-game showdown. I thought the one-game showdown would have me nervous, and yeah, I'm nervous, and God. Come see me Wednesday night around 7.45. I'm sure I'm going to be climbing the walls. My wife is definitely going to be wanting to be out of the house at that point. But right now, I am nowhere near as nervous. If you had told me two weeks ago, okay, the Mets are going to definitely play a one-game playoff against either Bumgarner or the Cardinals, I would have thought I would have been way more nervous, and I'm just not. I'm just – I'm good. I'm in a really good place with this baseball team right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I'm definitely with you. I mean, you know, the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, when, when it when it comes down to it, when it absolutely comes down to it, you know, I I, I think everybody fears Baumgartner, and of course, you know, you know, looking back at the year, uh, you know, the first matchup in the uh, in New York uh, against Baumgartner and Syndergaard didn't didn't by any means go the Mets' way, with uh, Baumgartner no. getting the six one six one win over Syndergaard. But uh, the, uh, I mean, the reality of it is, is that um, it's kind of like what I said when we were talking about the season, or back when we were predicting, you know, you, me, and Ryan were talking about our projections for the season. And I'm sorry you didn't get your 103 wins. I really am. Uh, but there was uh, only 102 at the end of the day. <laughs> 102. Sorry, 102. I was one off. <laughs> um, and and I I think I said, if I remember right. I thought it was going to be somewhere in the 88 to 92, uh, which um, I believe today was 87, wasn't it? Win 87? Yeah, 88 still. So possible. they still got a shot at my 88. They get a shot at getting into my window. But I, I refused to say what was going to happen in the playoffs because the thing that I learned last year, when the team with the worst record in all of the playoffs made it within three wins of a World Series championship, and that being our New York Mets, it's so hard to predict once you get in there with small series. It just is. I think it's, I mean, it's, as much as you hate to say it, it's equally possible they get blown out by the Giants or Cardinals on Wednesday as they do go the, run the whole table and win the whole damn thing. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, the reality of it is, is a team a team that should have been playing out the string of a disappointing injury-riddled season, which is ironic because looking at the statistics for injuries, Mets are right in the middle of the pack for all the people that like to slam on the Mets medical. Uh, we just happen to have gotten hit with our stars getting hurt. Uh, Seventeen Mets have hit the DL this year. Um, to, to be con- to be conversed, I think twenty-eight Dodgers have hit the disabled list this year. And oddly enough, they won their division. Um, but uh, and how long did they lose Kershaw for? For crying out loud! Uh, but um, you know the the reality of it is is this is a season that should have been quote unquote lost. The 1987, if you will, between 86 and 88 when they made playoff appearances. This should have been the lost season, and it isn't. In fact, again, I think it said more about this team, more about the farm system, more about Sandy Alderson, and I'm sorry, haters, it said more about Terry Collins than anything that has happened in the last few years, especially last year. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I was actually just having a text message conversation with uh, with my dad about Terry because uh, my dad is not the biggest Terry fan, uh, and I'm not the biggest Terry strategist fan. I am a big fan of Terry Collins, the uh, the coach, and uh, I wasn't on here with you guys last Sunday, um, but never was I more proud of Terry Collins than just the image of when Cespedes was hanging Jose Fernandez's jersey up in the Mets dugout, and Terry just came over and gave him an embrace. Just checking, see how you're doing, puts his arm around him as Cespedes is hanging up, and I said, and that is why Terry Collins will remain the Mets manager beyond this season, no matter what happens. He genuinely cares about his players. I believe they genuinely care about him, and it's insane for me to say this, but if he is not manager of the year in the National League, he definitely deserves a lot of votes for it. And I think he has to be in the conversation at this point. I mean, certainly I think uh, 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 Dave Russell, uh, Dave Roberts over in, in uh, Los Angeles is in that conversation. Joe Madden is in that conversation. The consistently, in my mind, overrated Dusty Baker is in that conversation. But uh, I think Terry Collins has to be in the conversation. Um, because, you know, it, and it's true. I mean, you and I will, I mean, he said some, when I was kind of starting to lose a little faith, he was saying some really weird crap in the press. I'm not going to deny it. And yes. I still can't actually put any logic to what he was saying, you know, six weeks ago. And after some of his decisions going, okay, there was a logical reason you could have done that. The answer you're giving is 100% illogical. No sense. What, what did you do to the real Terry? This is weird. Uh, and a whole week of basically quotes that made me go, what the hell is up with our manager? Maybe maybe it's finally gotten him and he needs to go. Um, there are going to be things that drive us nuts in the next few days, weeks, et cetera, strategically into next season. But the reality of it is, and I do think that there will be some coaching changes, and I think uh, the dismissal of Wally Backman is only the, the starting piece of that, of a fairly significant organizational shakeup that has nothing to do with the on-the-field play of this team this season. Um, I do think there are changes coming. um, If if I was Dick Scott, I would not be renting a new apartment. Uh, I would not be extending my lease. I'll just say that much. Uh, But, uh, you know, the reality of it is is I feel like, you know, when this run is done, you know, we've talked about building the Tom Seaver statue outside of of City Field. We talk about building the Mike Piazza statue, the, you know, the Gil Hodges statue, the Casey Stengel statue, all those statues. But I kind of feel like we may need one at some point of uh, Terry Collins and Dan Worthen sitting next, standing next to each other, um, leaning up against the dugout fence. Because to me, that has become an iconic picture of Met success. And sometime next year, if he stays with the team, and I believe he will, I think it's a, I can't imagine anything but that happening. Um, he will pass into the number two position of most wins ever by a New York Mets manager, and just today he cleared 500. It's amazing to think about. You, it seems like the Terry era has both been the longest tenure of any manager and at the same time the shortest tenure of any, any manager, if that makes sense. It, it just feels like it just started yesterday, but it feels like he's been with us for a decade now. So it, it's amazing when you consider the team that he took over. And everyone said, oh, Terry's going to be uh, – Sandy Alderson's puppet manager until the team is good, until all the young studs who we knew were coming along, but not for a while. Once they finally arrived, then Sandy would probably replace Terry with a uh, uh, one of the, these marquee name managers. And as we saw now, Terry showed absolute loyalty. And we said it when they first got good a couple of years ago when the, the studs came up, Terry deserved that team. He deserved last year's team, and he absolutely deserves this year's team. After dealing with what he's dealt with this year in losing star after star after star, but still managing to propel these guys to go out there, there was no point in early August, early to mid-August, if they had come out, and I actually tweeted this a bunch of times, and I had a bunch of haters' favorite that, and I'm sure that I'm going to be seeing those retweeted in the next few days, but I tweeted, can we please just shut down Cindergard and Matt's now for the good of their selves. Now, obviously, Matt did eventually get shut down, but it was about six weeks after I started tweeting it. And Cindergard not shut down. Instead, pitching a wild card game. They gave Terry a chance to, you know what? If you guys had wanted to in early to mid-August, 
they could have punted this season. And I don't think there were a lot of fans who rationally could have gotten really mad about that. If they had shut down all the horses to try to get them healthy, gone ahead and had Jake's surgery, had Matt's surgery, done it all much earlier than they eventually did, but they wanted to give a chance for one of these guys to get back and help them in the wild card. And it's to the credit of both the general manager and the manager that when we all had them dead and buried and said, pack it up and come back strong for 17, they said, nope, we still have unfinished business in 16. And I tip my cap to them because I wouldn't have been mad at them if they had done it. I would have totally understood, but they wanted to keep fighting through this season and see what they had in some of these younger kids for now making such a major impact. You know, and, and the thing too, I mean, you know, you, you uh, looking to our, our, you know, our stud pitcher and uh, you know, generally one of the better tweeters in, in Major League Baseball, Noah Syndergaard, um, who I think really raised some eyebrows about two months ago when he tweeted out, "Hey guys, we're a second half team." I don't know about you, but I kind of, I kind of wanted to say, "Oh, Noah, not this year, man. It's okay, you're young." Yeah. Oh, but you know, at the at the same time, it's like you know, holy crap, he was right. Yeah, are indeed. The last few years have proved it. This is a second half half team, sir. This is exactly what they are. Yeah, when he tweeted that out, you kind of wanted to give him the old pat on the head and be like, "Oh, youthful exuberance is so cute." But nope, <laughs> he knew it. He just had a feeling about this team and. I guess everybody else in that clubhouse did. We, we might not have believed it in the stands, but those guys absolutely did in the clubhouse. And to see the run that they've gone on, to, to see what they did for the rest of August and September, it really is, uh, I, I hate to be cliche, but it's amazing. They, they are simply an amazing team right now that every single force of nature said, you can't. And these 25 to 40 knuckleheads are like, um, why not? Well, like I said, somebody has forgotten to tell Robert Gazelman he's Robert Gazelman. Somebody's forgotten to tell Seth Lugo he's Seth Lugo. Somebody's forgotten to tell DJ Rivera he was he wasn't drafted. Um, you know, somebody forgot to tell Josh Smoker that the Nets gave up on him. Uh, you know, these, these are the things that nobody's told these guys, and they're kicking ass. I mean, you know, it, it's you know, you watch these guys play day to day. How can you not root for TJ Rivera? How can you not root for Josh Smoker? How can you not root for Gazelman and 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 Lugo? I mean, how do you not root for? The, I mean, it is impossible not to. These guys are all contributing, and by golly, they're all going to be on the playoff roster come Wednesday. Six weeks ago, it, it, they it, were hanging out with Wally Backman, catching secondhand smoke out of the out of the dugout. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. You know, I I had the trend last year because I kept saying last year reminded me a lot of 99. So after every big win from like, I'd say like late July on, after the Cespedes acquisition, every big win they'd have, I would tweet out Mojo Rising, because it felt like that. And I did it a couple times this year, only after some, some real major wins, it felt like that Mets Mojo was there. But I wasn't doing it after every win, because this didn't feel like 99 to me at all. 99 team, that was a stacked team. So that was that was a very very competent ball team, and don't say this team isn't one of the well, best Mets teams ever team. assembled. Let's be honest. Absolutely, it's actually my favorite Mets team of all time. It was my all time favorite team. But that team, I expected things out of them. I expected them to, you know, I expected them to beat the damn Braves, to be honest with you. But I, I felt every fiber of my being, I felt that was a playoff team. Early August, I didn't feel any fiber of my being that this was a playoff team. So I couldn't do the Mojo Rising this year because it didn't make sense. It doesn't feel like this is like something you you nailed it. This definitely has a 73 kind of feel to it, but even 73 was was a very good team from beginning to end, but they really just caught fire at the end that propelled them. And, And if you really want to make that comparison, that's a good one. That is a team that caught fire at the perfect time and you just want to kind of hang your hat on that team. So I don't know what song they played after victories at Chase Stadium in 73, but that would have been a much more apropos uh, song for me to tweet out this year. Well, it probably would have been something on the organ back then. Uh, great friend. We'll meet the Mets. Uh, and, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, 
our good friend Greg Prince, of course, who's you know, one of the two most uh, trusted Mets historians I know these days, uh, did tweet out earlier, 27 and 12 from August 20th forward. By comparison, 21 and 8 down the stretch in 1973. You've got to believe all your life if you're a Mets fan. So hypothetically, statistically speaking, the, the Mets better. winning percentage in this stretch better than just got a text from one of my buddies who's a diehard Red Sox fan. In fact, I'm going up to Boston next weekend. I'm going to hopefully be able to take in a game with him. So he just, he just shot me a text that said, we were down 3 nothing to the Yankees, and everybody knows how that ended. You guys just won your equivalent of game four. Now finish the damn job because we have a date with destiny. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty darn good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, we, we were pretty much down three. Uh, we were out of it on this season, and then all of a sudden you just win that one, and you never know what could happen. So that's a pretty good comparison. And we've been we've been friends for about fifteen years now. We keep talking about that dream matchup if we ever could have a a Sox Mets uh, Mets rematch. What would happen? So I have a feeling in the next couple of weeks if the Mets get Man, through it Wednesday. Would be tough. Be, uh, Here's my thing as a baseball fan and as a as a fan of great players. And a fan of you know great players having you know seeing good thing, great players go out in a great way. It would be tough playing a World Series in David Ortiz's final season. I'm just going to say that much. Absolutely, dude. That was the first thing that popped in my head when him and I started talking about the scenario a few weeks ago. It's like, man, Poppy, you know he is set to do some dramatic stuff this postseason. I I, I want no part of him right now. But if it means a trip back to the World Series, I guess we'll figure out a way to pitch around him. Yeah, exactly. It's just what you got to do. It's just what you got to do. And you know, the funny thing is, is we talk about the wild card, and of course, obviously, the uh, you know the Cardinals are still in it for the National League. The Giants are you know are in the proverbial driver's seat, so to speak, at the moment. Uh, but um, leading at this point, leading the Dodgers one nothing at the end of five as we're as we're live on you know the Saturday afternoon evening. Uh, but uh, the uh, the American League is still more of a mess than the National League. I can't tell you how that's going to play out. Oh, man, when they were showing all the scenarios for how the AL could play out today on Fox, I felt like I needed some type of uh, 
The AL right now is shooting up to be that insane night that we had the first year of the uh, one-game wild card play-in where you had games 163 going on, you had one-game wild cards going on. The AL right now could be shaping up to give as just purely a baseball fan, because let's face it, I mean, I'd say Terry's going to roll out the AAA lineup tomorrow, but the AAA lineup is going to the playoffs. So I don't even know what type of lineup he's going to lay out tomorrow, but I do know with NFL football on and the Ryder Cup, I really appreciate the Mets taking care of what they had to take care of today because I don't think I'm going to be putting a lot of eyeballs on the Mets game tomorrow. And I don't, and I don't think there's – I mean, you know, if you want to see a good start for Michael that. Conforto, that's your big option. You know, you'll get to see Michael Conforto. Yeah, exactly. You'll get, you know, you'll get to see Lucas Duda probably play first. You'll get to see, you know, an inning or two out of, uh, you know, out of um, Eric Goodell. Um, you know, that's that's the type of thing you're gonna, you know, I I, I assure you, Cabrera, uh, Reyes, Cespedes, uh, possibly Granderson. Um, I, w- I would bet you they're all sitting down tomorrow, uh, especially because, quite frankly, Cespedes could use a day off. He he's kind of been a bit cold lately. Uh, but uh, you know, you may. I hate to say it, folks. You may see Eric Campbell at first base tomorrow. Just it just may be a fact. Or third. Yeah, I would say you're definitely getting some soup. And then, of course, Terry has to troll all of Mets Twitter by saying, "Hey, have you seen Campbell's at bats against Bumgarner? We get him. Maybe Campbell starts." And you could hear all of Mets Twitter collectively groan at that possibility. But yeah, tomorrow's game is. Uh, anybody who needs a, uh, a hall pass to be excused from tomorrow's game, you are excused uh, from your friends at the Happy Recap because I know uh, I'm probably going to be elsewhere. But you don't want to tune out of Major League Baseball completely because I have a feeling we could be in for a very interesting day from the American League and, let's face it, from the other wild card in the National League to see how all that plays out. So tomorrow's a, tomorrow's well, a I, great I, I sports think, day. I, I, and I think we can say it safely. If the Mets win on Wednesday, which is, of course, our hope, Happy recap on Thursday? No doubt about it. If not Wednesday night, although if you not know, Wednesday I night, swore yeah. off the whole. I, I swore off the whole drinking and broadcasting early in our career of uh, the happy recap, and I can't make that promise if the Mets do win Wednesday night. So <laughs> it would definitely be at least. Thursday. I'll, I'll 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 keep the mute button at the handy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially yeah, well, if you go all just... on ump. <laughs> Tomorrow's just – it's a great day. For us in the Northeast, it doesn't get better than this. Tomorrow's going to be gray, rainy, and 60 degrees, much like it is today. So no, none of us are going out. No one's going pumpkin picking Well, and tomorrow. the reality of that, that's, that's, that's my weather for the next six months. What are you talking about? <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all homebodies tomorrow. So tomorrow you throw a little – maybe a little chili in the crock pot, maybe a little soup on the stove – get the house smelling good, get a door flame log on, and then you just plop yourself down starting around 1 o'clock. You get NFL football. You got Ryder Cup if you're into that. You're going to have playoff scenarios unfolding in Major League Baseball. Tomorrow is just a grade A Sunday, and you don't get many of these per year. It's my favorite time of year is, is the fall that I'm just going to be – if we were to do a show tomorrow night, it would probably be one of my most upbeat ones because tomorrow has all the makings of a – of an A-plus sports day for us. Absolutely. It's one of those days that I'm always glad I have the MLB.TV package because inevitably, last day of the season, something you can't miss will occur in baseball. And thanks to the social media, you'll find out about it, about or when it's happening, so that you can tune over to it. For example, last year, Ichiro pitching for the Marlins. Yeah, Absolutely. That was a uh, one of those moments where sports fans all came together to just enjoy that moment collectively. And, you know, you will never hear me be happy that my New York football giants have a primetime game. You know my thoughts on Thursday and Sunday night football. They're both abominations that need to be terminated. Monday night football, I, I understand it's, a, it's an institution of the NFL. It, it, it is something I understand is a necessary evil, and I can tolerate it. I am so damn happy the Giants play Monday night because I want to get to enjoy everything that could play out tomorrow and not have to worry about my football team until the next day. I can just put the Giants on the back burner. I kind of can put the Mets on the back burner for the day, except for finding out who their opponent is on Wednesday. And I can just enjoy sports tomorrow. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty psyched up for uh, the potential possibilities of uh, tomorrow. I, I think if, uh, if you follow my Fitbit steps tomorrow, well, 
Tomorrow's going to be the day to get me because I have no intentions of getting my butt off of my couch unless it's to get some type of food or beverage. Well, you, you, I, I know you'll surely get taunted by that by uh, Casey Stern, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be kind since uh, uh, <laughs> I think last time I looked, my Fitbit has about a half an inch of dust on it, so uh, let's not go there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm actually, I'm actually later. wearing, I'm wearing two Fitbits right now because. My wife's seven months pregnant, but she really was hating the fact that she was falling so low on her friend's leaderboard. So don't tell anyone, but kind of cheating for her. <laughs> that is all kinds of awesome. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, that that's that's one of those husband of the year type awards that you know that, that you know when they're giving out the award. You know he did this, he did that. Oh yeah, he did this as well. And all the guys are like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So seven months pregnant. I'm not going to argue with her when she says, "Hey, could you put this on as you walk around the house like a madman?" No problem, honey. You got it. You need anything else? Put grab anything you need. It's all good. <laughs> I was going to say that it, you know, and I say this out of love and respect. This is not by any stretch of misogynist comment. When you have a seven months pregnant wife, everything is a pleasure to do, and every request you absolutely. <laughs> It's just one of those things. There is nothing. It, you just do it. You don't ask why. You don't ask how. You, you figure it out. Just, just, just. Yep. It's better. No problem. One, it's the right thing to do. No. But two, it's the right thing to do. Yep. The the phrase "no problem, honey" becomes my number one phrase for the next two and a half months. <laughs> well, you know that's it, it's it's this it's it's fall. It feels like fall. Um, and, you know, used to joke that, uh, you know, over the past couple of seasons that, hey, we're at least we're playing October baseball because it's, well, October 1st. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of cool. You know, we got at least uh, one more game to go after tomorrow and hopefully a few more after that. And uh, uh, as always, my friend, it is a pleasure to walk through the playoffs with you. Absolutely. I have a feeling we'll be doing a lot of pop-up shows over the course of the next couple of weeks, hopefully a lot of pop-up shows over the next couple of weeks, because I really enjoyed having a very short off season, which meant a lot fewer downtime for us in between last out and first pitch of spring training. So uh, let's just root on that. Right now the Mets are about to keep the happy recap radio on air for a few more weeks. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, if, they, if for some reason they do lose, we'll, we'll definitely have to do a season wrap up show next Sunday. But uh, my guess is uh, we we'll probably will take the rest of the postseason off uh, just because you just need that cleansing time. You, you do need a cleansing time. But, uh, you know, it, it, it won't be out of disappointment. It won't be out of shame. It won't be out of rage. Uh, it'll just be a, a little bit of recharge time. But, uh, dude, I, I, you know, I, I like I said, this is one of the proudest I've ever been of this team. Uh, this is one of the most exciting I've ever been of a post office, uh, post office, postseason. Uh, where the hell did that come from? Uh, um, <laughs> that's how the excitement is getting to me. I'm apparently talking in male terms now. Um, let's put a stamp on it. Oh, sorry. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it, this is this is just a really cool treat because to think, you know, all the time we've been saying, well, I guess 2017 is our year. I guess 2017 is our year. You know what, dude? That could very well be true. But 2016 still happening. Let's see where it goes. Absolutely. Hey, I've always referred to this show kind of like a, uh, a network show where our first show of spring training, I call it our season premiere. I am not ready to do a season finale just yet. I prefer to think of this as uh, my favorite show just came back from its midwinter break, and we've still got a bunch of episodes left till the finale. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I haven't even, you know, normally at this time, you know, when we've been doing the show in past years to get a little cur- behind-the-curtain view. By now, we've we've usually had Joe DeMeo on to talk about what prospects to expect for next year. You know, we, we'll, we'll uh, you know, kind of put the year in historical context, and we'll be talking about, already talking to people about, bloggers and whatnot, what moves should the Mets make, who should they let walk, who should they sign, who should they trade. I have not set up any of those interviews. I have not set up any of them. I haven't even thought about the topics other than just mentioning them just now because 2016 is still happening. There's still plenty of stuff to look at, 
plenty of stuff to talk about, and plenty of baseball, I say confidently, left to enjoy. I'm right there with you, my friend, and hopefully we will be doing it on the same airwaves Thursday, having a happy recap. Absolutely. I look forward to it. As do I, my friend. Any final thoughts? Nope. (laughs) I I tweeted it out, but we keep it PG, so I'll just say LGFM. (laughs) The... um... Uh, one last thought, uh, speaking of your, your abbreviations, um, the uh, our good friend Mark Carrig, who I'm sure will join us after the season, uh, just tweeted out, Ioannis Cespedes got himself tossed out of the game by dropping an F-bomb. Apparently it could be heard in the dugouts. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 the man you know, does if, everything. If you, and if you read his lips on the replay, and I've seen the replay a couple times now, uh, there, there, there's a word for female dog that follows immediately after that. Um, so it, it's kind of a dual. Uh, uh, yeah. Clearly he's learned his English swear words well in his time here. Uh, that's, I think that's the lesson we all learned today. If anybody had any doubt, uh, um, Ioannis Espinus knows how to cuss with the best of them. He'll never get cheated on a swing. He'll never get cheated on, on an F-bomb. Exactly. Until hopefully Thursday. Uh, we've got two more games to go for sure. Hopefully many more beyond that. And even with the double uh, A lineup likely, since we've been playing the triple A lineup for a month and a half, with the double A lineup we're likely to put out there tomorrow, we still have a wholehearted to the wild card cont- uh, participating New York Mets, a heartfelt happy Let's go, Mets. <laughs>